This is a CBC podcast. Nothing can make or break a relationship quite like a road trip. Whether your adventure is a couple hours or a couple days, when you're stuck in a car with someone, you really get to know them. There's no distractions or even escaping the person next to you. So you ditch the shallow small talk and you get a little deeper. Road trips can be unpredictable too. You decide, yeah, let's check out that scenic vista. But inevitably, you end up taking a wrong turn somewhere. And now Google Maps isn't loading and you're starving. And all you have is that picked over bag of gummy bears left. It's in those challenging moments when you really find out what someone's made of. It's why I love hitting the road with someone. Because you never know what you might discover on a road trip. I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. When Caitlin Swan was growing up, she knew her grandmother was a residential school survivor. But no one in her family talked about it much. After she moved away from her home in Saskatchewan, she wanted to know more. So, Caitlin invited her grandmother on a road trip. Here's her story. And a heads up. This documentary involves some graphic descriptions of violence. No. No. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Now I'm convinced. Uh. Lorna Standing Ready is not afraid of ticks. Probably because she grew up in the bush. That's what she and a lot of other Native people call growing up on the res. She's my cookum. That's grandmother and Cree. I'm Cree, Dakota, and a little bit of Swedish. I grew up in Regina, where there just aren't as many ticks to fight off. We've had really different lives. She came from the res, I came from the city. I'm 24, and I've never really had an adult conversation with her. So I get an idea of how your life has gone from the beginning, chronologically. Where were you born? (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, if I can remember. (laughs) I was told. (laughs) I was born in the Indian Hospital, Fort Capel, April the 18th. 1944. I'm nervous. I feel guilty that I've never asked about her life. But I've also just been scared to. I only saw what I wanted to see. Through the cracks of my fingers, I saw an advocate, a survivor, an elder. But now that I'm a journalist, I live in that space of feeling uncomfortable asking questions, telling other Indigenous people's stories. But I don't really know my own. We tried to go back to the beginning, where it all started. The hospital my cookum was born in. It was actually called the Indian Hospital. But when we got there, just two hours away... All that was left was a large concrete slab in the Coppell Valley. This happened a lot on our trip. These places that were important to her, just gone, torn down. 
Next, we drove up to the Fort Coppell Sanatorium, only a few minutes up the valley from the old hospital grounds. This is where her dad spent years being treated for tuberculosis in the 50s. He always said that it was haunted. Turned in here. I don't know, I don't think we can go any uh-huh. further. Oh. <gasps> What's happening? Yeah, you can just park. They tore it down. Was the hospital here? Yes. My dad's building was over here. Over on the right. I was gonna show you where he, where I stood on a big veranda, and I stood here. His bedroom was there. He used to talk to me from the window, and told me to go to school, go to school, keep going to school, learn all you can. And then the last time I stood there, I couldn't see him. Because he had passed away, we didn't know. The sanatorium was demolished in 2017. I was hoping we would park there and I was going to walk where the band shell used to be. We'd come on a Sunday and everybody would be having candies and sweets and listening to the band play different songs and we'd be visiting sitting on the grass I can still see the people I was sitting on the grass and and dad and mom wanting time to themselves so dad would give me money and I'd walk this way and go to the greasy spoon <laughs> go and get some yum yums <laughs> some candy <laughs> and then come back That's too bad that it's gone. And then I had, I had no dad after that. Always giving tobacco, always giving cigarettes to, to speak. And I speak and then I have to do something Cookham hops out of the truck to offer tobacco and a prayer. She leaves it on the ground where the sanatorium once stood, towering over the valley. The prayer and offering is a sign of respect for the earth and the spirits who've passed on. My Cookham was deeply steeped in her culture growing up. She knew her traditions, she spoke Cree fluently, a language I don't speak at all. I mean, I know wapus and na, which means rabbit and come here, but that's it. Choosing to use the Cree word for grandmother now is deliberate. It's my small act of reclamation. We're only about two hours into this trip, and I'm realizing how different we are. It was hard to be native in the city. It felt like year after year... A layer of my culture was stripped off. Someone would call me dirty or untrustworthy. It felt like the only option was to act as white as possible, whatever that meant. It wasn't until years later that I realized that was the goal of residential schools. Assimilation of indigenous culture. My coping mechanism of trying to blend in. 
Kokum gets back in the truck after talking to a woman who was walking by. That lady said they were trying to keep it as a heritage and tourism place. But money talks in this world. It's gone now. I've known her my whole life, and it feels like the first time I'm really seeing her. For a lot of Indigenous families, it's hard to talk about the past. So much of our history is traumatic. We're always trying to keep it light. But I believe there's also healing in talking about it. And I think we gain more compassion and understanding for each other when we break down those barriers and talk about what we've been through. But it's risky. She's hardly talked about her life with her own children. The next stop was Prince Albert Residential School, a place she once wanted so badly to run away from. It was the first school she was taken to when she was only six years old. We're slowly walking around the old grounds. She still remembers the first night alone, after being taken away. The room was cold. It was cold. Nobody to cuddle up with me in bed. I just curled up, hugged my knees, and I was crying and crying. She talks about her long hair, how it was cut short and the nuns put DDT in it. It's a harsh pesticide, treated like a bug to be squashed. And bang! I stopped crying. And this supervisor said, Get to sleep. Quit your crying. So I cried softly. You learn to cry without making a noise. She's guiding me through the land where the school once stood. The building's torn down now, but I can imagine what it would have looked like. Old and authoritative, looming over the miles of thick trees, cutting her off from everything. It's strange coming back here. I'm in a different world when I think back. I'm like that little girl, thrown away, lost. And yet, I do as I'm told. Because I'm scared. I'm scared all the time. The more we walk, the more stories she shares. She tells me about a young girl she knew. She was missing a lot of her front teeth and it affected the way that she ate. She was punished for it, put in a cage and made to eat from a bowl on the ground. They treated her like a dog. Worse than a dog. And she had nothing to, to sleep on except bales of hay and an old blanket, an old army blanket. How long was she there for? I don't know. We never found out how long. We're not alone here. Not the way she was when she was little. 
Modern-day sounds surround us. A lawnmower hums in the distance. There's construction on the building that now sits on this land. But as my Cookham walks through the old grounds of Prince Albert Residential School, the first of a few schools she would attend, the terrible memories come flooding back. I can't live here, but your forest, a place of hell. So many memories. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear them. I don't. I don't want to remember. I don't want to remember those things. But you know, the story has to be told. Her kids have never heard this story. It's taken me so long to work up the courage to even ask. But this experience, her experience, it's an important part of Canada's history. And it's a recent history. The last residential school closed in Saskatchewan in 1996. I was two years old, just four years younger than my cookum when she was taken away. She found small ways to cope with being forced into an alien life. Memories were her escape. The only place the nuns and priests could not get to. Berries! <laughs> She'd go back to picking Saskatoon berries, one of her fondest memories. She still picks every year. We visited one of her favorite spots on Papikis's First Nation. That's where she grew up. Holy, they're everywhere. Are those Saskatoons? Yes. Can't say I've gone picking before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look. You won't go hungry. That's food. Food. I never went hungry on the reserve. Mmm. See? We're rich. Wow, oh, there's my old swimming hole. Mmm. Look at the berries. We used to come from that way. We'd, we'd, we'd take our horses, team of horses, and we'd harness, we'd um, put them there in the shade spread our blankets out and we'd bring our own food to eat. We used to swim all day. A Sunday. That water is kind of receded now, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll come back. It'll come back. Always does. Is that ever nice? <laughs> I wish I could stay here for the rest of the day. I'd pick and pick and pick. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh, look at this, my girl. All this good fruit. I don't have that same connection to the Riz. I'm a member of White Bear First Nation, also in southern Saskatchewan. I went there all the time as a kid to visit my Cushy, great-grandmother in Dakota. I haven't been back in over 10 years, not since my cushy died. I remember playing outside, but feeling uneasy about the small gray house that sat at the edge of the yard. A sad energy surrounded it. I think I knew it even then. It just looked like a weathered shack. My mom told me that she'd lived there as a young girl. 
Mike Cookham was pregnant in that house. This is where she lived with Herman, my biological grandfather I've never met. He was a handsome man. I fell in love with his green eyes. <laughs> they met in residential school. My Cookham still remembers him with such empathy, despite several years of severe abuse. But it was that almighty liquor that destroyed our relationship. The thing about the res is that not a lot changes over time. It's as beautiful as I remember it. The wind softly rustles the canopy of trees above us. Pulling up to the old house, I'm afraid of what I'll hear. As a kid, I was able to ignore this house that made me feel so uneasy. Now, I've come here just to see it with my cookum. Have her tell me what happened here. I already have some vague ideas from conversations with my mom. I know this wasn't a happy place. Lonely life. All alone. Bringing up kids. Well, what, what did it take for you to leave? What happened when you finally left him? Oh, it took seven years. He gave me a, such a good lick in my throat. I had internal bleeding in my throat. I couldn't talk. Even though he'd beaten her for years, she remembers that he was a survivor of residential school too and that he was battling his own demons. Who's going to look after my kids? Who's going to do that if I'm not around? So I had to save myself. I had to leave them. Cookham hitchhiked to Regina. She got the medical attention she desperately needed. And still, she faced struggles in the city. The social workers didn't understand what it had taken for her to even leave. She didn't want to, but she had to. I had to be put down in social work books. I was, I was a deserter. I deserted my family. So I took that chance, and that's what I did. Finally, realizing I had to save myself in order for my kids to have a good life. After she left, the kids, including my mom, were put in foster care. She fought to get them out, to get a house, to find a stable job. She fought against the barriers that made it almost impossible for a Native woman in the prairies. But after six months, she proved to the social workers that she deserved her children back. And they gave me the kids back. Oh, they were just like little puppies. They're just hugging me and crying and kissing me. And Now when I look at her, I can see her as a young girl, then a young woman. Hearing about the love and pain in her life is filling in the blanks of a life story I never knew. The next morning, we climb into the truck after a journey that's covered over a thousand kilometers and decades of my Kokum's life. We're heading back to Regina. The wind is whipping across the prairies. Besides the wind, it's quiet in the truck. My mind is busy going over everything we've talked about the last few days. But we're not done. Starting to talk has opened something up. Something that my cookum kept hidden away for such a long time. A memory as graphic as the trauma it inflicted so many years ago. Oh, I've seen how men, how men could treat a young girl 
my friend is still alive today. She was getting the strapping of her life. I've seen a lot of strappings. I've seen what they could do, but this was the worst. A memory from a residential school in Manitoba. One of the worst that she went to. She describes in such disturbing detail seeing her friends strapped while she was forced to watch by her principal. I find a place to pull off the highway, and all I can do is listen as the memory comes. And she was bleeding. Oh, bleeding so bad. She was bleeding so bad. And she fell off the table. She fainted. And he grabbed her up. He grabbed her between her legs. The principal's wife lived at the school. Cookham ran to go get her. His eyes, my girl, his eyes were like glass. And he was looking happy. And she came up and she saw her hand went to her mouth. And then she rushed forward to him and grabbed him by the arm. And she, she tells me that his wife tried to get him to stop. She yelled his name over and over and over. He came out of his trance. And she took... She took him by the hand and he followed her. How did we survive? You can say by the will of God... But I survived with my teachings. Cookham is still heavily involved with the church. I grew up going to Midnight Mass every Christmas. I always wondered how she could be so close to a church that abused her. And there was a reason for you to stick with your studies. Someone has to tell the story. And I'm so busy trying to educate the church, the very church that almost destroyed me, but not. We sat there in silence for a while. But Cookham piped back up with a lesson that connected to her story about taking care of yourself and being strong. But my mind was in a million different places. I didn't really know what to say. And somehow, the conversation circled back to a place where she was laughing again. And you have to learn to laugh. And I've learned to laugh. I've learned to be able to joke about life at times. Because you need that. We listened to Elvis for the next two hours as we drove home. I will always wonder how these experiences shaped her life. A lot of survivors turned to drugs and alcohol, but she didn't. Somehow, she moved on. Trauma is woven into my family's history, but it alone does not define us. I've inherited strength, resiliency, and unconditional love. 
And those traits didn't come without a fight. My Cookham had to persevere. She had to come out the other side in order to be that foundation our whole family's built on. She's made such a difference in her family's lives. My brothers and sisters, her great-grandchildren. I guess I would describe Grandma as persistent, uh, tenacious. (laughs) She's nice and... She's lovable. She holds the most amount of unconditional love that I've ever known. and She's just a joy to be around. She's been a a big inspiration to pretty much everybody in our family. Grandma's strong and she's beautiful. Grandma's my home. This story is only a sliver of Mike Oakham's life. She said this nearly every day when we were driving down the highway. So much to tell. So little time. She's still an advocate for women's rights and indigenous rights. She's got children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren who look up to her, who admire her. She didn't have to say yes to this road trip. She spent her whole life not sharing these stories. But something about this trip, driving hundreds of kilometers through the prairies in a big black truck, she let me in. You can't understand the strength of someone until you know the weight that they've carried. You don't know their wisdom until you know their struggle. You don't really know them until you listen. It's a good zoom lens. Yeah. What else can I look at? Any birds? There's lots to see. There's pelicans in this lake too. If you, okay. if you see any of them, you can zoom in on pelicans. Wherever you see pelicans, there's fish. I love that. Heading off into the sunset with Gokum, listening to Elvis. That documentary from CBC's Caitlin Swan, edited by Anna Lazowski. And I know that may be difficult listening for survivors and their families. If you need support, you can call the 24-hour National Indian Residential Schools Crisis Line, 1-866-925-4419. Now, Caitlin took that road trip in 2019, so I checked in with her for an update. She reports that her gokum was shoveling her walkway during the holidays and, like usual, burning the Christmas cookies, which is exactly the way Caitlin likes them. Lorna Standing Ready is also busy volunteering with Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women campaigns, Last month in Regina, she was awarded the Queen Elizabeth Platinum Jubilee Medal for her activism. Three cheers for all the Gokums. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show was produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. Thanks to our friends at Unreserved this week. And if you like what you're hearing on Hell of a Story... Hit subscribe or save to your favorites or tell a friend about us. Help us out. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Gwitch. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.